welcome to another episode of The Shannon Plan. I am Kyle Posey. I am joined by my homie Akash. Akash, what's going on, man? What's up, man? Uh, I guess uh, first we should congratulate you for getting blue checked on, on Twitter. So uh, I guess I'm not qualified to be on this podcast with you anymore, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll try. So, I mean, it looks great, but it means absolutely nothing, to be very clear. <laughs> if I were if I were being paid to tweet, that would be lovely, but that would be. it's just a blue check mark and more people just have a chance to make fun of me, I think. That's the only difference here. So <laughs> we are going to talk about the Rams and the 49ers and everything that happened last week and go- that's going to happen in the future. So the Rams lost, the 49ers won. Many people thought leading into the game that the for- this game wasn't going to be close. And I I think it's just because what you've seen from the 49ers, they had every right to believe that. But you can throw out the divisional records or the records when you have a divisional game just because these teams know each other like the back of their hands. McVay, Shanahan, the 49ers defense seizes defense every day in practice. So, I mean, it it was – I bet the 49ers to win, and that wasn't like a homer type deal. It was just I thought that they were a better team, and the Rams just aren't a very good matchup. Um, Were you surprised by the win at all? No, I mean, last week, so you said the matchup would be pretty even and you thought it was closer to a toss-up even though you picked the Rams. I thought it would be a blowout, but kind of as the week went, I kept thinking that, you know, was Kyle Shanahan, a $10 million coach, Jimmy Garoppolo, $25 million quarterback at home. Are they going to lose three straight games? Like, as I kept thinking through those things, this team was prideful. I thought they were going to somehow find a way to pull it out even if they weren't as talented on paper. Uh, so just like you, I bet the 49ers money line as well. Um, so thankful that they came through and won that the way they did. Um, but no, I wasn't surprised just given, you know, divisional game, weird things can happen. Um, Jared Goff looked terrible. The Niners needed this one more than the Rams did just based on how the season's gone. So I wasn't surprised with the result, um, just after the game. I think the 49ers needed that win in the way that they won the game. So it was convincing. They came out on the first drive and kind of established how they were going to play for that game. And the Rams just really had no answer for their skill players. And the defense did a great job. Solid did a great job as well, showing different looks to confuse Goff. And the 49ers were fortunate that bad Goff showed up because he had some pretty bad misses. And that could have put the Rams in a situation to put some points on the board. But thankfully, that did not happen. Uh, let's get into some injuries before we really dig into the game. So Raheem Mostert had a high ankle sprain, and he is going to likely land on the injured reserve. And that is going to be a critical blow because Tevin Coleman is still out. Kyle Shanahan said Tevin Coleman is a long shot to come back this week. So we are looking at a Jarek McKinnon, Jeff Wilson, and Jamichael Hasty. How big of a loss is Raheem Mostert? Pretty big. I mean, the drop-off was clear on Sunday. Uh, who the alpha dog in this running back room is, and it's Raheem Mostert, right? There was a sizable drop when Jarek McKinnon came in, and Kyle Shanahan just decided to switch it up. He went with Jermichael Hasty, who I thought had a little bit more juice in that game, uh, just a little bit more pop in that running game. Um, and Mostert, if Shanahan were to create you know, a w- outside zone runner, it would be Raheem Mostert, I think. And there's not anyone else on this roster that fits that mold exactly. Um, so they're going to have to make do with what they have. But I think if the offensive line plays as aggressive and dominates like it did on Sunday, then they should be able to weather the storm given kind of the schedule they have coming uh, with New England and Seattle not being as stout against the run. Yeah, I thought Boster ran his tail off. And there is a clear drop off. He mass some of the deficiencies that are still there from the offensive line there were some some blown blocks and mainly it was ben garland but he we're going to talk about him next but Mostert did a good job i thought of running through tackles and he also had a couple plays where there was nothing there but just because he's so fast he just cut a different direction and ran for like six or eight yards uh, most of the guys are not going to be able to do that hasty was impressive hasty has some of these really impressive jump cuts where he's i, I don't it doesn't even seem like he has to, but he's just doing it to do it. Right. But it looks His change great. of direction is insane. Yeah, it's it's really impressive. You can you can tell that, and almost it's almost as if Hasty is the guy that Shanahan thought he was signing in Jarek McKinnon, but McKinnon yep. has had those surgeries where McKinnon no longer has that same level of juice speed that he once had before the knee injuries, and Hasty yeah. is that guy right now. So it was 
I thought it spoke highly of Hasty to for the 49ers to roll with him down the stretch. Kyle, Kyle Shannon used the word juice and said that he just had fresh legs as well. So we're going to see how that's going to happen, how that's how the carries are going to play out moving forward, because Mostert's probably going to be out for Well, he's out at least three weeks, hopefully no longer than that. But uh, they're going to they're going to have to still be able to run the ball. It's still Kyle Shanahan in offense. He's going to want to run the ball. And there is a reason for that. And we are going to talk about uh, some of the winners and losers a little bit later. But Ben Garland, another injury. Ben Garland had a calf strain and He's going to head to the injured reserve as well. The 49ers actually placed him on the injured reserve on Tuesday. Ronis Grassi filled in for a handful of snaps for Garland. He actually played really well against Arizona week one. Uh, he, he did not get beaten in protection. So, yeah, that was uh, yeah. that was pretty impressive. You have to imagine, though, Bill Belichick's going to just try to confuse him, try to send everything he can yep. at Grassi. Um, But it'll be interesting to see. I, I think he'll be fine. I actually don't think he'll be much of a downgrade. As I mentioned, Garland did not play particularly well against the Rams, and it wasn't as if he was just getting beaten by um, Aaron Donald. He was just whiffing on – just whiffing Lots. against – yeah, yeah, just random random Rams defenders. So the the blown block chart sheet that I do, Garland had the most. He had four blown blocks. Rumsco had three, and nobody else actually had more than one. So you mentioned how well the offensive line played. They were really, really good. They yeah. and as the game went on, they continued to like kind of insert their dominance. Mike McGlinchey played with like a, a mean strength, that, a mean streak that I've never really seen him play with. It's almost as if he read the tweets and was like, "Nope, this is, I'm I'm tired of this. This is enough." So that was good to see. But he has to play like a guy that was taken in the top ten because he was taken in the top ten. So it's nice to know that that fire, that talent is there. So moving on. There were so Trent Williams going to be evaluated. He actually left the game with a head injury, but Shanahan said that you know he was doing ankle, ankle injury. injury as well. Yeah. yeah, so to lose Williams would be like a crucial, crucial blow. He's been really good this year, and he's going to be evaluated as I mentioned probably Wednesday when they return to practice. So is Jaquiski Tart, who has an ankle injury. Uh, not sure what his status is. That was probably one of the worst games that I've seen Tart play in a long while. He was getting beaten in coverage by Tyler Higby and I, even like another tight end. It seemed Darryl like he was, uh, yeah, he, it seemed like he was just guessing. And I'm not even talking about on the touchdown play where yes, he probably should maintain inside leverage, but that was just a dime. Like it was a really good throw by Golf, and it's like Tart was like centimeters away from making a play on the pass, but. He's given he gave up a 17 yard gain for a first down. I remember where he just kind of hopped the other way, like he just was beaten that bad. And there was another throw where golf went full golf, or else that was probably a touchdown down the seam. So yeah, he's bailed out a little bit. He didn't look too good in the, against the run either. I don't know what was up, but if he cannot go, Marcel Harris is probably going to play. Uh, Jonathan Cyprian is going to play while Tarverius Moore remains on the bench. Which why 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 I do not know, but uh, how. How much of a downgrade do you think it is from Tart to Harris? Uh, pretty severe. Uh, you know, Marcel Harris got some snaps on Sunday, and and I thought it didn't look that pretty. Uh, it felt like he missed. He like overran some plays. He wasn't where he was supposed to be in coverage. Um, I wonder if they figure out that if Tart's not going to play early in the week, they have Cyprian and Harris compete to see who who goes on Sunday. Obviously, that was a big thing. Um. You know, before the season, you and I, uh, when we were doing our, you know, roster projections, we talked about that. I think you had Cyprian, I had Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that would be another topic of conversation um, this week. But he's a player I expect to be called up for the practice squad uh, or at least bumped up uh, to the active roster on game day. So both of them will be will be in uniform. Yeah, he'll definitely be flexed, I guess, is what we can call it. Yeah, that's right. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they roll. So. With Tart going down, Tart does give them a certain flexibility that you just don't have with Harris. Um, it's tough to trust Harris when he's back deep. And Sala kind of showed that last year where he kind of dumbed down his coverages. But I do think Harris will be fine. But, I mean, the drop-off you, against the Rams, he had like two plays in a row where the it was – honestly, it was like the first couple plays when he was in the game. And the Rams ran right at him. And Harris is just like nowhere to be found where he's supposed to be. And then a couple plays later, he whiffs on a tackle, which he does. And that's probably the biggest 
the biggest issue is or the biggest difference between the two is just the tackling. And I mean, the 49ers have been sound, but Harris is not that guy. So hopefully they have a plan for him moving forward. I mean, he, he should be fine, but fine's not always good enough. So that is the injury. So Tart ankle injury. Trent Williams will have be evaluated as well. And then Garland and Mostert are going to be on the injured reserve. So, uh, yeah, hopefully they have some good news coming out when it comes to um, when it comes to Trent Williams and Jacuski Tar. So let's talk about how it's going to be tough for the 49ers to make a trade because that's been a hot topic. The trade deadline is two weeks from now. But I mean, let's say that Tart is out an extended period of time and there is a safety that you want. You're not going to be able to make a, tr- a move for him, even if it's Trent Williams is out. Or as the the big thing that keeps coming up is like an edge rusher, a pass rusher. And with where the 49ers cap situation stands, they're kind of just they can't do much of anything. And go ahead and you take it, Maria. I know you have some thoughts on that. People just um, imagine that trades work like they do in other sports where, you know, it's not dependent on the salary cap because uh, the salary going out is the salary coming in. So it'll like all work out, but that's not the case in football. I think the 49ers have like, I just checked like $3.9 million in cap space uh, on over the cap at least. And they're already without a third round pick because they use that for, for Trent Williams. Um, you and I talk about this all the time. I don't think they're one player away. Last year when they made the move for Emmanuel Sanders, it was clear they needed a veteran wide receiver. The team was like eight, no, nine and no, whatever. They were probably the best team in the league at the time. And they had like one clear need to put them over the top. And it almost got them there, right? Well, this year, that's kind of not the case. You could potentially trade for like four or five different players to fill like all the needs. There's not one specific player that I think, um, you know, would put them over the top. There's some clear needs like edge uh, or maybe center with uh, the injuries or, or whatever uh, people may think. But I just think given the cap space, given your limited draft capital this this season, you can't afford to trade that away uh, for someone that you need in like a win now situation. I actually think the 49ers might be sellers at the trade deadline if anyone's willing to take on like a Dante Pettis or someone like that. They may they may trade players away rather than bring guys in. Uh, but that's just yeah, my two cents. Yeah, I imagine Dante Pettis and Achille Witherspoon are like going to be like the two top options. Um, supposedly they tried to deal both during training camp. But yeah, I've seen names tossed around like um, Alex Mack from the Falcons, who has like a six point five or something million dollar cap hit. And uh, there's been a couple there's been some talk about the 49ers acquiring J.J. Watt, which I would imagine that is not going to happen because he has a massive salary. And yes, it does go beyond this year. But they're just going to have to get flexible and try to restructure some guys. And if they haven't restructured a guy in October, by October, it's probably not going to happen moving forward. So it is unlikely that the 49ers do make a trade. What they need, they just need their guys to get healthy. And that's not looking like it's going to happen anytime soon. So, And then on the restructure front, you know, they've already restructured Weston Richburg, big contract guy. They've restructured Quan Alexander. They restructured D4. The only big contract left to restructures Jimmy Garoppolo's and there's a reason we'll talk about later in the podcast why I don't think they'll touch that contract <laughs> um, as, as producer Rob holds up Alden Smith's name he obviously I think right now is top 10 in sacks he's been the only player for the Cowboys that's even worth watching uh, especially yesterday on Monday Night Football they put in like a porous performance but I thought he stood out um, and he's bringing up the idea should you know the 49ers trade for him given his minimal cap hit um sounds great on in theory but i'm not sure the cowboys would give give him up for any asset yeah they're they're probably not even though they should be sellers because they flat out stink this season and they are going nowhere um they leave the division and <laughs> they do god what a what a terrible division by the way um, we could probably do an entire podcast on how worthless the NFC East is, but we will save that for when the, the next time, or wait, week 15 or whenever the 49ers play Dallas. So, yeah, Alden Smith currently four sacks, six quarterback hits, 16 stops, and that's on 162 pass rushes. Uh, he would easily lead the 49ers and would be a big boost, but yeah, not realistic. That would be great because, yeah, cap number only 1.3 million. So the 49ers would be able to. Um, fit him under the salaries, the salary cap. So speaking of that, we will transition into players that stood out, players that did not stand out in a positive light against the Rams. And we will start with the pass rush, who I think really struggled. They did not sack the quarterback. 
you cannot have a game in the NFL where you do not sack the quarterback. They only hit Goff on two two attempts. So one of those came where Goff actually stepped up in the pocket and stepped right into Deion Jordan. So I wouldn't even call that a quarterback hit. I wouldn't classify that as a win. Um, the, I'm not a big proponent of hurries and just pressures in general just because they're not actual wins, and that's what we saw. Um, we've seen that over the course of the season, and what we saw that we saw that coming back to bite the team in the butt against the Rams. So um, the the one the one reason I would be a buyer at the at the trading deadline is because let's say that the 49ers win next week against the Patriots and now they're four and three and they're heading into a divisional game against the Seahawks where they could have a chance to, you know, they're probably if let's say that they, who, who knows, they, they beat Seattle and all of a sudden they're in the playoff picture again, you're going to need a significant pass rusher to help you out. They're not getting that from Eric Armstead right now. They're not getting that from Deion Jordan, Kerry Hyder. He, he had one good play where he did, beat a guy, split a double team, and hit the quarterback. But one good play is not going to cut it. They need somebody who can rush from the outside. Armstead is at his best when he's rushing from the inside, and that's what he did. So the pass rush is struggling so much that Javon Kinlaw is rushing from the edge on third downs. Like yeah. That is a problem because it's stunning, yeah, his, stunning growth his growth as an inside yeah. rusher, and that's where they need him to work at. They don't need him going against tackles right now. So uh, something has to happen. Kevin Givens should not be the best pass rusher on this team. He is through six games. He's won the most. And I don't know. That's, that's a problem to me. Yeah, it is. Uh, that part feels very 2018-esque, uh, especially when you mentioned like Javon Kinlaw moving outside to rush. Sounds very very much like Solomon Thomas where they're just kind of moving him around as needed because they are battered, they don't have the talent, etc. So they're like, okay, we're going to throw our you know uh, highest drafted player in this position and see if he can thrive, which is unfortunate because it's just like you said, it's stunting his growth. Um but, you know, one of the pass rushers we talked about before the season, or maybe like right after Bosa's injury, was Ryan Kerrigan, um, who's still on the market. Uh, I think he was – Kyle Shanahan was the OC there when he got drafted. He's on a final year of his contract. His cap hit's sizable. It's pretty big. And he's, he had a down year last year, so I'm not sure if that would add any juice, but that's a name that's probably attainable. Um, though, like you mentioned, it's like, you know, if they – say they lose this game in New England – and all of a sudden you look like, okay, you're not headed for a playoff run, then it's like, okay, you're not going to spend any assets, right? They're kind of at like this fork in the road, and depending on how the next two weeks go, they may be like, okay, let's push some more chips into the middle of the table or be like, okay, nah, we'll just punt it to 2021. Really depends on the outcomes here uh, in New England and at Seattle. Yeah, and that's fair. And just looking back at like the 49ers Rams stats, uh, Kevin Givens was the only person who won, who beat his man more than one time. And that is a big problem. Uh, one of the other pass rushers that was thrown out uh, was Carlos Dunlap, who said he was unhappy with the situation in the Bengals because his playing time has been reduced to a sim uh, essentially a third down pass rusher. But I mean, that's another guy who has a big contract. And I, I guess big is not the word, but he is on a contract for two more years but his current cap number right now is 10.9 million. If the Bengals were to trade him, the 49ers would probably be on the hook for around 8 million of that. So just, it's not feasible. It's not realistic that they'll be able to pull off these moves. So, yeah, I mean, somebody's just going to have to step it up or Salah's going to have to continue to get creative. He had a chance where, you know, Jamar Taylor is coming on the blitz off the edge and Taylor just loses his footing. He just falls and golf steps up in the, in the pocket and is able to get a throw off. So, um, yeah, th this is where, you know, compared to last season where the Niners had the talent and the coaching and they were just destroying teams this year, they don't have the talent because of all the injuries. They still probably have the coaching. So if the effort level is high, they should win games where it's like equally matched, um, on paper or they're just better on paper, but they're, they're going to lose some games where they're just like out talented, right? They, they may play like their ass off. They may, Kyle may come in with a great game plan. Same thing with Sala, but they just get beat, right? And I think that's going to happen uh, more often this season than it did last year. So as far as winners go, the usual suspects were the usual suspects. So George Kittle had a lot of catches and a lot of yards. He had seven catches. All of those went for first downs or touchdowns. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a great player. We all know that. No surprise. Anytime he touches the ball, we pretty much expect him to do well. Uh, he did have a big drop, and that did hurt. And 
for some reason, people are willing to focus on that, but that's just a fan brain. Uh, Fred Warner also played really well. I thought he he made a couple of tackles around the line of scrimmage that really put the Rams behind the chains and allowed the 49ers defense to get off the field. But again, those are two of the best players on the team. They should be winners every week. What was uh, surprising was how well Jason Verrett played. He played like a confident elite player. He honestly looked like one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL in that situation. Um, he's been kind of slowly but surely turning the corner. I thought early on when he first started, he was a little hesitant as a tackler, but he's playing with so much confidence now. And what another thing I noticed early on was he was kind of chasing receivers out of zones and getting out of getting it, putting himself in a position where the offense can complete a pass against him. You did not see that against the Rams. You saw a guy that was willing to come up and make a tackle, beat blockers, but you also saw a guy that was just in the hip pocket of the Rams receivers all night. Um, on the season, Verrett has been targeted 14 times. He has allowed four receptions for 24 yards and has more. So he has three pass breakups and an interception. So he has as much ball production as he has allowed uh, receptions. That's just like superstar numbers. There's, it's, it's been really impressive. They need him to stay healthy because we just talked about the lack of pass rush. And I thought Mosley played really well. But the cornerbacks are going to have to bail the pass rush out. So, yeah, Verrett was impressive. Who else Who else stood out to you? Yeah, just just on, on Verrett, he leads the NFL in yards per coverage snap. So he's only given up 24 yards. I think he's had over a little over 100 snaps. His yards per coverage snap was like .18. Um, and that's a stat that Richard Sherman always leads in just because he doesn't face as many targets. Uh, the interesting, on, interesting thing on Verrett right now, he plays the field corner which generally sees less targets. Um, when Sherman does come back, he moves to, he'll likely move to the boundary because Richard Sherman will play the field corner. So it's going to be interesting, you know, to see when he gets tested more often, uh, how he battles in coverage, but just given how he's played so far, uh, I expect nothing but uh, good out of Verrett. Um, just other winners. Uh, let's go offensive line. Uh, Dan Brunskill and Mike McGlinchey. Dan Brunskill, like his PFF grade didn't, really reflect it, but I thought he played his tail off uh, on Sunday. Uh, just a couple plays on Aaron Donald that like really stood out, whether it was in, in pass blocking or run blocking situations where um, they'd isolate him sometimes, and he was uh, a man amongst boys. Um, just with the right side of that offensive line, it's clear that they're capable of playing like this. So it's kind of the gold standard that we've set. So anything less than this, then it's fair criticism, in my opinion, unless the defender just flat out beats you. But they shouldn't have weeks like the past few weeks where they're just getting flat out beat uh, by randoms. Um, so that that was a, a winner to me. The other winner, Debo Samuel, you may have mentioned this earlier. Um, the crazy stat for Debo, he had 96 yards after the catch and he had 66 yards receiving. Just Just think about that. He had 30 more yards after catching the ball then that's even accounted for on the stat sheet. Um, all of his targets were in the backfield. Kyle Shanahan essentially called them running plays, uh, but obviously Garoppolo gets gets credit for the passes. But yeah, Samuel looked fantastic. Um, just, I think it was the first time since his foot injury where he looked kind of just comfortable with the ball in space. Um, the play there uh, at the end of the game, the third and seven, third and eight, whatever, Game on the line. I'm thinking, okay, Garoppolo's going to have to hit one pass here. Like, what is Kyle going to dial up? And he just pitches it, whatever, the Deadpool play to Debo and says, hey, Debo, go get eight yards. And this dude is taking on like two or three tacklers, carrying them to the first uh, first down marker. And the, the quote came out after the game. I think you tweeted this. Um, Jimmy gets in the huddle, tells Debo, hey, uh, stay in bounds, keep the clock running because Jimmy thinks he's not going to get the first down. Debo's like, don't worry, I always stay in bounds. And that that you know type of interaction is uh, pretty cool, especially when the play works out that way. So I thought those three guys, especially on offense, uh, were winners. Yeah, Debo, man, just watching him with a ball in his hands. He runs like a crazy person. Uh, he, just, he just runs like he has no interest in being tackled by the first person at all. And I think that's like the highest compliment he could put. Um, yeah, it was great to see him. It was great to see the line. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Daniel Brunskill, he did play pretty well. Uh, he got beat a couple of times, but he was facing Aaron freaking Donald. You are going to get beat when you are facing Aaron Donald. Uh, he reached Aaron Donald, which you never see. So when I mean by reach block is Donald is a gap over 
to him and he gets on his outside shoulder and allows Debo on the touchdown run or sorry, it's not a run because it's a pass um, on the touchdown pass where he um, scores and Debo or sorry, not Debo Brunskill. Like you just don't see that happen. So he has the athleticism. He is able to do that. So that was really good to see McGlinchey played his best game. Lakin Thompson, I thought played his best game as well. And then Trent Williams was Trent Williams. So Grassu can just hold the fort down uh, they should be fine. The final player that we have to talk about is Jimmy Garoppolo. And a lot of the talk was, did Kyle take the ball out of his hands because of Aaron Donald? That is what that was people take away. I want what I took away from watching the game was no, because we saw um, Jimmy play last week. And what we saw was the Kyle Shanahan made it clear coming into this game that he wanted to run the ball more. He wanted to get his player playmakers, quote unquote, involved. And he did a great job of that on the first drive. You brought up Debo Samuel. His average depth of target was minus five yards, which is hilarious to think for a wide receiver. But, man, if we just talk about the throws beyond the line of scrimmage. So Jimmy had 23 attempts beyond the line of scrimmage. He missed on nine of those throws. And I tweeted out some clips where he's not even close on some of these throws, man. He's missing very bad. Uh, He had a couple of plays where – three specifically I tweeted out where he's he's missing guys and they're having to punt because of it there was one play early in the game actually where the ball goes off George Kittle's hand and PFF actually charted him for a drop and people are saying that this is a drop he is lunging for the ball at the last minute because it, the ball was so off target yeah this was like a second down play right it was just a quick slant or whatever and he just missed him wide on a clean pocket right yeah so it's like a, a little stick route he five yards turns yeah. around everybody Everybody runs it. The 49ers run it multiple times a game. Such an easy throw. Uh, there was another play later in the two-minute drill. I think the two-minute drill gives you the best evaluation of Jimmy Garoppolo because it's Agreed. a simple um, drop-back passing play. They're all going to be drop-back throws. And in this situation, uh, Garoppolo has to roll to his right to find Kittle. He just almost one-hops it on the out route as he's throwing to his right and has the momentum going towards Kittle. So that kind of speaks about his arm. Uh, the the big play that everybody's been talking about is the leak play where Juszczyk is coming out from one side of the formation, leaks up the field to the sideline, and people are throwing – and Jimmy Garoppolo overthrows him. Uh, Kyle Shanahan's reaction, he's throwing his arms up in the air, and then he's like this one, like, what did you do? Like, why did you miss? It's pretty funny yeah, to watch. Yeah. Um, but if you – as I mentioned, people are complaining about it and saying that juice turned turn the wrong way. Uh, no, it's not a corner route. You are not going to the sideline. You just go up the field. You look over your inside shoulder, and the ball should be like any other route where you're looking that way. Just in the bread basket. Very simple. Yeah, and he's wide open. Does he score? Probably not, but it's a big chunk play. And at worst, they're in field goal position as soon as he catches it. So there was a lot of yards left out on the field by him. And it's just hard to imagine that Kyle doesn't isn't taking the ball out of his hands. We've seen excuses saying that he's still hurt. He's not. He wasn't on the injury report. You can't use these excuses for him. And it's going to be a thing as the season goes on. And I know it's going to be. But how did you feel about Garoppolo's performance? He's become someone you just cannot discuss uh, on Twitter, in my opinion. Just because if you were to like compliment him during the game, you get just crushed for being a homer if you criticize him like I did with uh, like a deep throw that he missed, uh, which may not have been his fault. It might have been nitpicking. You get crushed for being too much of a hater. Like It's just too tough at this point because everyone's got an agenda when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo. Either they're trying to defend him or they're trying to like throw him under the bus without just trying to like honestly evaluate him, which is kind of a roller coaster. Like There's good plays, there's bad plays, whatever. Um but my thing is, like, how can you not watch that game and be like, Kyle Shanahan has taken the keys uh, from Jimmy Garoppolo um, and is just trying to get this, like, ship, like, steered in the right path. Like, the faith or the trust or whatever he has in Jimmy Garoppolo is extremely, extremely low. And as you guys know, I live in Seattle, and all the time, all I hear around here is let Russ cook. Let Russ cook, right? Um, it's, like, backwards. Because here, everyone is like, they don't have the faith in like the offensive coaching staff. They have it in the quarterback. And in Santa Clara, it's like the opposite. And I think the thing with Jimmy is don't let Jimmy in the kitchen because he may ruin whatever you're cooking, right? Like that should be the thing. Like put that on a t-shirt because that's, that's what Kyle's doing, right? 
he uh garoppolo's average um like attempt like length was like 1.8 yards like that was how far his passes traveled on sunday you know his time in the pocket was like 2.18 seconds which was the third fastest and that's because a lot of the throws were just gimmies right and that's a reason why the pass protection looked good and a lot of people use that to be like okay that's a game plan against Aaron Donald and this Rams front. Um, it's a way for the O-line to like mesh better. And no, 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 no. I, you know, that could be part of it. But part of it is just you watch Jimmy Garoppolo last week against the Dolphins and he just had no confidence in intermediate to deep throws. And so Kyle now is like handcuffed um, with like one, behind, one hand behind his back and he has to call a game. And I thought he came up with a brilliant game plan um, just given his limitations at quarterback, his limitations at offensive line, who played well. Um, and they've got a good complement of weapons. I texted someone in this after the game. In my life, I think this might be the best group of weapons that the 49ers have had, given like health, right? Mostert, Kittle, Debo, Ayuk, Kendrick Bourne, who's a solid third wide receiver. Like they have a really solid group of weapons. And if they had like more competent quarterback play, this offense would be so much fun to watch. And uh, just like you hit on the miss on the leak uh, route to use check and you can see Kyle Shanahan's frustration. I'm pretty sure that's everybody at home too, right? He is like watching like a fan on the sideline. He's like, God, how can you not hit that? Like I'm like, he's probably up, you know, late at night, you know, coming up with these sweet plays and Jimmy's just wrecking them, uh, just missing throws, whatever. So yeah, it's just inconsistent play. And it's been the theme of the season and people have different excuses for it, whether it's rust or health or offensive line play or whatever. Um, but just we've talked about this, given his contract situation, given the way that, that he's played so far, how can you not imagine that Kyle's like, God, I can't wait to get this guy off my team. Like that, that's kind of what I get watching Kyle uh, coach this team up and the way he's scheming it. So that was, that was my giant Jimmy takeaway from, from Sunday. Yeah. I mean, it's been there all season. So he's 0 for 7 on throws over 20 yards this season. So when the opportunity's been there, he's just not hitting at all. And it's over and over and over where he's either using too much. Um, sorry, he's either throwing off his read too much, like too quickly, and he's missing an open receiver, or there's an opportunity for him to either hit the guy and he's staring down and he misses another receiver. He's just not seeing the field very well at all. And I just don't know what you do as a coach when you do that besides take the ball out of his hands. But like the Patriots, for example, they're going to play man coverage. They are going to force Jimmy to throw the ball and it's not going to be easy for the receivers to separate, but man, it's, he has to play better. There's no other way around it. And if he doesn't play better, this season is not going to go well. So we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Aaron Donald pretending he doesn't know who Debo Samuel is, having fans in the stadium, and the 49ers moving forward. All right. So Aaron Donald, in his post-game press conference, was asked, you know, preparation about Debo Samuel. And who? That was his response. And then they were like, you know, Debo Samuel. Uh, who everybody who has ever watched the game knows, but D um, Aaron Donald did not know who that was. And we talked about this a little bit before the show. On one hand, I do understand where he's coming from because as you're preparing for a game, you're like, we got to stop 19. We got to stop 19. And in his mind, he's probably thinking, okay, 19, I have to watch at him. And he's a defensive lineman. So he's probably knows, you know, Trent Williams, 71. 69, Mike McGlinchey. Like, he's focusing on those guys. 10, Jimmy Garoppolo. He's probably not as worried about, you know, Debo Samuel on the outside because that's not going to really affect him at all. But it was a great interaction. Debo quote, um, took that screenshot, took that video on Instagram and said, hey, I'm 3-0 against you guys. You, I'm sure you know who I am. So that was hilarious. Uh, what, what was your takeaway from that? Yeah, I mean, it popped up on Twitter yesterday morning and everyone and their mother was like, uh, oh, the disrespect, Aaron Donald's disrespecting Debo. Like, how can he not know? Blah, blah, blah. And Aaron Donald, A, doesn't come off of that type of, like, he doesn't come off like that. He doesn't, he's not like a pole or anything like that. At least from what I've seen from him, he seems like a high character guy. So if he, know, if he knew Debo Samuel, even if Debo Samuel was uh, a giant reason why the Niners won on Sunday, I feel like he would have just answered the question, um, which he ended up doing. Like the clip that was posted on Twitter, like cuts off what he says about Tebow Samuel. But if you actually go back and watch the full like presser, 
he credits him after he figures out who Debo is uh, for the plays that Samuel had. And I te- I texted Eric Crocker about this just because I haven't been in like install meetings or anything like that, right? So I was like, okay, like during the week, they're probably just using numbers, right? Like he probably knows him by 19. And like you mentioned, he's zoned in on offensive linemen, the quarterback, all that kind of stuff, their tendencies, whatnot. Um, and the only thing that they've probably talked about is, hey, watch 19 on these end arounds or sweeps or whatever. And so I'm sure they don't really use the name Debo Samuel in their building. Um, and it's, you know, it's not like Debo some superstar in the league. He's not like DeAndre Hopkins or Odell or whatever, right? Um, so I thought it was just crazy overreaction where fans just think that every player knows every other player in the league. Like, it's just not realistic. So I didn't think it was disrespect. I thought he just genuinely didn't know. Um, and it was just taken out of context, in my opinion. Something there was a clip on Twitter, and you're saying that it was taken out of context. Interesting. Never happens. Will never happen again. Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's pretty simple. 19, 27, 22. Like they speak in numbers, and it's just natural when you are a coach player and you're on the board. You're not writing out um, Debo Samuel. You're writing 19. So yeah. very simple. And, and you. You see it all the time on the field when they, either if they're trash talking or complimenting another player, they're always like, hey, 2-5 or hey, 99 or whatever, right? right? Like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady do that all the time. And it doesn't mean they don't know the other guy. They just know them by their number. So I'm sure if the question was phrased as 19, he would have just answered it and just been on. So, yeah. Next week, the Patriots, you're going to be able to hear this. The Patriots center is not going to go, Fred Warner's the mic. Fred Warner's the mic. They're going to say yeah. 54, 54 is the mic. Yeah. 54 is yeah. a mic. So, yeah, that's a... It's, I mean, it's Twitter, but I'm here for the jokes and I have no problem doing that. And I feel like we should definitely pile on Aaron Donald, who is terrible and not good at football. Um, The 49ers put out a statement on Tuesday saying that fans will be maybe welcome back into the stadium sooner or later because uh, here's here's the official statement. We appreciate Governor Newsom's leadership and thoughtful approach in creating framework that allows for a return of fans, Levi Stadium and restart economic activity in the region. We welcome our fans and their support, local businesses and vendors that are critical in our local economy, especially during these difficult times. Our organization will continue to collaborate with local public health officials to implement a plan that protects the health and wellness of all San Francisco 49ers and Levi Stadium employees, patrons and our community. And after that, you know, players are getting excited. Some of the writers are tweeting like, hey, fans are back. Because 20% of capacity, that would be 13,000, 13,600 fans back into the stadium. But quickly after that, probably within the hour or 30 minutes even, uh, Santa Clara County was like, nah, not happening. We're not doing that. So uh, the statement from the Santa Santa Clara County Public Health Department, they pretty much said the 49ers won't have fans in attendance anytime soon. And their statement just basically talked about the rising COVID cases nationwide and how that's going to be increased in the winter months. So that was fun to talk about for roughly 20 minutes before that was shot down. Do you think that there will be fans in stadiums this season? Uh, I'm going to go yes. Uh, I was skeptical before the season started, but I I think the NFL PR guy, whatever, someone tweeted, I think nine of the 14 stadiums that hosted games this weekend had fans. And my whole thing is that just make it a level playing field, whatever it is. Like, if you're going to do fans in all stadiums, do fans in all stadiums. If you're not going to do fans in any stadiums, like, don't do fans in any stadiums. Like, I just hate it that, you know, some teams, because they're in certain states and certain, you know, counties, they're allowed to have X amount of fans. Like, Dallas last night had, what, like 20,000 fans at Jerry World, like, uh, which I don't know why you'd go to watch that train wreck. But, you know, people are paying money to go watch that train wreck. Um, so that, that's my whole thing. It's like, okay, if you're going to like, just make it even playing field, whatever it is, like, um, that's all. And when, uh, the governor announced that, okay, there's a chance, um, just because of, uh, lowering COVID cases in California or whatever, I got excited. I was like, okay, that means fans at Levi's, the Niners have been kind of terrible at home. They could use the boost. They've got some big games at home. They've got green Bay then they got Buffalo, uh, obviously, they'll have Seattle later in the season. Um, so I was like, okay, that could be just a big boost for this team, especially a team that's banged up. Uh, but they closed the door on that quick. Um, but 
the 49ers and Jed York, I think have a pretty good relationship with the Santa Clara city government or county government, excuse me. Um, so maybe there's a chance there's fans later on in the season. They could do what the Saints did. The Saints threatened to go play at uh, Tiger Stadium uh, yeah, that's right. at LSU. And then like a week later, the New Orleans mayor was like, ah, no, never mind. Like you can play with fans. And so they're going to have like 3,000 and it's just going to like grow, I think. So Jed York and the Niners could threaten to do something like that if they really wanted to have fans. Um, I don't know if it gets to that stage, but I could see fans at some point. But whatever it is, just level playing field. It's my opinion. Yeah, and that's fair. And I've seen some people throw out that this is just a money grab because Newsom has pressure from Disney. And that makes a lot more sense when you kind of dig into it as well. But, I mean, I would imagine that we do see fans as well. So, um, with the 49ers win, does that change your mind about them moving forward? Because we do our updated record predictions every week. And I feel like that's fair (laughs) because it's a week-to-week league. And one week, the 49ers are not going to look well, as we saw last week the last two games and now that they beat their divisional opponent defeat a defeated a team that has a winning record but i do want to throw a little water on the fire because i don't think the rams are as good as a record uh they beat up on a couple of nfc's teams even though the 49ers lost all to four of them all four uh, of them yeah there we go all their, their four wins are against um the worst teams in the nfl yeah um yeah. they they really struggled against the giants and that's why i like put money on them just because they just didn't really have an answer for the Giants front. And I don't, I just don't think they're as good as people think. And they're not a good matchup for the 49ers. Well, I think we will find more out about the 49ers against the Patriots, against the Seahawks, against the Packers. And I still am kind of iffy on the Packers because I mean, we saw what happened when they played a good team this past Sunday. Um, Aaron Rodgers reverted back to, the Danica Patrick, Aaron Rodgers, no offense. Um, <laughs> but he, didn't, yeah, he didn't He didn't play well. He didn't look like a guy that was confident. And they, their receivers really didn't separate as much as you thought they would. And, I mean, the Packers are still the Packers as well. So, But these next two games, for sure, I think will be really good evaluations for us as far as where the Niners stand. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I hit hit on this at the top of the pod. The 49ers don't have as much talent as they did last year. It's not even close, not even questionable. But their effort and their coaching cannot be uh, like it was against Miami. That was putrid. Uh, like, that cannot happen uh, if this team's going to win any more games this season, right? Um, they just they have to put it into, like, full gear. And against certain teams that they're on a level playing field with, that effort and the advantage that they have with Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala they'll be able to win some games. Um, but certain games, maybe Seattle, maybe New Orleans, uh, maybe Green Bay, because I'm not sure if the 49ers can generate pressure like Tampa Bay did. Tampa Bay was in the backfield like every other snap. I'm not sure if the Niners can do that. They cannot. <laughs> so <laughs> is Aaron Rodgers just going to like turn it on? Like I could see that. Um, but Kyle Shanahan said it post-game. The team tweeted out a clip of like their locker room rah-rah stuff and uh, he talked about how embarrassed they were of their performance and that kind of, I think, motivated them this week. Like, they got to have that type of mindset coming into the Rams game. Like, the offensive line's got to play like that. Um, and just receivers, there's everyone in, in the in the building is going to have to put in that type of an effort to overcome the talent deficits on certain weeks. Um, that being said, I don't think that highly of New England. And maybe we'll get into this as we preview them, but uh, they haven't, like, practiced in a few weeks. Uh, on offense, they don't have anybody outside of like Edelman and James White. Cam looked good the first few weeks, but he hasn't looked like himself the last few uh, or this past week, I guess. Um, defensively, they didn't look particularly great. I don't know. They just don't look as cohesive as prior New England teams did to me. So I, this feels like another game that the 49ers could like sneak and win. Um, just my take from like a 30,000 foot level. Yeah. So the Patriots offense putrid is like the perfect where they have no speed. And if you don't have speed against the 49ers, I feel like they can just suffocate you on defense. So K 
Cam looked like a player on Sunday who hadn't practiced in a couple weeks. Like he just looked like a player who hasn't played. He was hold and he generally holds the ball a lot just because he's never really been an anticipation thrower, but he has his arm is such a rock. Like he has such a good arm that he can hold the ball and still get it out. But now he's holding the ball, guys aren't separating, and then they're not doing much on the run game. So yeah, their their offense is just not good. And when your offense isn't good, it puts so much more pressure on your defense to get stops. That one blown coverage or a few misses here and there, like that's the difference. And the Broncos did a good job of going at, I believe it's Jonathan Jones, and I imagine he will be the target for Kyle Shanahan about just scheming him open because the Patriots are going to live in man coverage. But yeah, um, Julian Edelman looks like um, a 40 year old. Like I said, he just he looks, looks like shot. a guy that can't like Wes Welker, like back when he was about to retire, like just, yeah. just not good. He just looks old. Nikhil um, Harry can't separate. Uh, Demir Bird shouldn't. That's their number one receiver essentially right now is Demir Bird. If you don't know who Demir Bird is, you should not know who Demir Bird is. So um, got some dude named Zuber that like, caught a couple balls on, on Sunday, but uh, their offensive line, I think that they had another major injury up front. They didn't protect Cam very well on Sunday, I thought. Um, and obviously the Denver front is, is decent. They've got, but they're down Von Miller, obviously. Uh, I thought they played particularly well. Um, I think the 49ers have their way. The The Patriots are 17th uh, in DVOA pass defense, 18th in DVOA rushing defense. Two numbers that Kyle Shanahan should be able to take to, to be able to exploit, even without Raheem Mostert. They've got like the other playmakers on offense, um, and it's a one twenty-five game, like we talked about. So it's not a body clock game. It's not one of those like ten a.m. early starts. Um, I think the weather should be fine, so it's not one of those like weird, you know, Kaepernick twenty twelve snow games either. Because <laughs> um, I wouldn't trust Jimmy with to walk the dog across the field yeah. in that type of weather. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so just given all that, I feel pretty good about this game. The Patriots opened as, like, four-point favorites, but I think that line's come down. I think it closes at around two and a half. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, I would I would think it lands around that range. I would feel pretty good about Niners' money line again just because they know how desperate this game is. Um, yeah, so the, the look-ahead line was five and a half coming into this week. So the 49ers were five-and-a-half-point underdogs, and – I believe it's down to three and a half or three, I think, as of right now. Or as of yesterday, it was three when I last looked. So if it gets under that, that that's a pretty good indication just because, you know, you have the automatic three, or at least you did when there were crowds and fans in the stands. So um, I'm I'm not as confident. And the Patriots really? have nothing to impress, but I just think Belichick does such a good job of making you play left-handed with one arm tied on your back. Like he just takes away – what you do well, and hearing him speak about George Kittle, Kittle, George Kittle is going to do anything on Sunday. He's not going to do a thing. Like, and yeah. when I, and that's not taken away from who the who the player Kittle is. And you know Shanahan's going to do something to scheme. But teams have already done a good job of doubling him. Flores did a really good job of taking away Kittle in the red zone. He might put four players on Kittle if he has to. That's going to be the case before he lets anybody else do anything. So this one's going to be on Samuel Ayuk and born to step up and beat guys. And and I don't know if Stephon Gilmore is going to travel with anybody. Probably not just because the 49ers do so much moving. But um, they're, they're going to have to – and Cam threw a couple fluky picks. They're going to have to do that. They're going to have to have one of those interceptions where they have a short field and get ahead and force the Patriots to kind of play behind the sticks. So I, don't, I honestly don't know who wins the game. But I do want to talk about um, your updated record, predict, record prediction before we get out of here. Ooh, that's a good one. So if, if we set the line at like nine and seven, I would currently still go under just because the schedule they have and just their Rams win doesn't do much for me. Just for the reasons you mentioned, uh, that just being a good matchup because it's a, it's a league about matchups. Um, the you know opposing quarterback has to be able to exploit the 49ers defense, and I don't think Jared Goff can do that. Um, a worse version of Jimmy Garoppolo maybe, uh, in my opinion. Um, and I think even if the Niners manage to win this game in New England, they come home to a stretch with like Seattle, Green Bay, New Orleans, Buffalo, who's looked off, but I think they get back on track. Um, and it's just, it's a tough road. So I, I would go under if you set the line at, at nine and seven. Yes, yeah, so I think 
I'm going to go push because that that win did a little bit more for me and not just because it's the Rams and divisional, you know, winning record, blah, blah, blah. I just think from a confidence boost from like they needed to see themselves play like that. They needed to to see themselves and like, oh, we are good. We should play like this. We are a do- yeah. we are capable of being a dominant team. And I want to make it very clear that they did not play well in the second half at all. The offense, the longest drive that they had, I believe it was four or five drives that they had. The longest drive was 28 yards. That can't happen against the Patriots. Um, they did not move the ball well. And obviously we talked about Garoppolo's misses and that hurt, but most are being out. There wasn't much of an um, there wasn't much of an adjustment there without the without him in the game. So yeah, they can't they can't get stalled for an entire half and score three points in a half. That's just not going to happen. They will come nowhere near nine wins if that happens. But it was very promising to see them play as well as they did in one half and get ahead and build enough of a lead where they can hold on and the defense made plays. So I'm gonna say push. Agreed. Um, nine and seven. Uh, yeah. Anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? Yeah, just one one thing back to Belichick and taking away Kittle. So I, I went back and watched the Raiders game where they played Darren Waller, and it was interesting. I saw Belichick double Darren Waller on a check down. He, I think Darren Waller had like one catch, maybe the entire game. He had less than, I want to say 10 yards. Knowing that Derek Carr is check down king, they took away um, Waller, and they took away like the running backs coming out of the backfield yeah. to force Carr to throw the ball beyond 15 yards. So. Yep. That, that's, that's what Jimmy's going to have to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I completely forgot that that happened. That's probably going to be a similar game plan against San Francisco. But the good news is there are guys open, and there were guys open last week where against the Rams where guys are running free on the crossing and over routes down the field. Jimmy's going to have to be patient and hit them, the, throw them the ball in stride and not behind them because there were a few plays where there were almost interceptions, and you do not want that, especially over the middle of the field. So – um, that'll be all for us today. My name's Kyle Posey. You can follow me at KP underscore show on the Twitters. How about you, Akash? You can follow me at Akash Anav, A-K-A-S-H-A-N-A-V. That's it for us. And hopefully we'll be talking to you guys after a Niners win and go Niners.